We have t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com. Check out all our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we've got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean. Look cool. Have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Listeners, it is I, D.B. Spitzer, and here once again with the Cthulhu Mythos. I'm going to drop that voice right now. I hope everyone is having a great November. I was going to ask you if you needed like a, a throat lodging. No, no, no. I just had to like swish some water around there for a moment. But yeah, no, uh, I hope everyone's having a great November. It's, you know, kind of foggy here in Oleander. How are the uh, Denixes doing out on the farm out there? Seem to be doing uh, pretty good. You know, that fog, of course, means ghost pirates. And yep, ghost yep, pirates yep. mean, you know, black eyes because they like to touch the ground, turn it black. And ghost pirates just really do think that cars crashing is the funniest thing they've ever seen. Yeah, but yeah. Other than that, it's it's good. Yeah, no, no. Uh, there is talk by the mayor to uh, subvert ghost pirates by creating large monorail system and then we showed him the Simpsons episode and he said okay okay what about if we set up giant fans and we showed him some Roadrunner episodes and then he said what if we get some Jesuits and we showed him the Exorcist and then he said what if we get some Ghostbusters and then we told him Ghostbusters aren't real and uh, showed him a bunch of shows of people who go to uh, places where there are no ghosts and then run away scared. Um, so we're kind of in a conundrum about what to do about ghost pirates because we do, we're having really bad fog this year and it's really hard for the kids to get to school. I mean, thankfully we have uh, pneumatic tubes so that the kids can do school and also uh, the... Um, like cable system that everyone uses for like internet because oh man wi-fi is awful around here uh ghost pirates i think are also have something to do with that but yeah you know there are still people that believe that ghost pirates are not caused by man and it's not that this carbon emissions are not creating ghost pirates it's hard to believe this they're ghost pirate deniers yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Nobody denies that ghost pirates are real. It's just that they deny that they're man-made. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to say, Dave. But uh, one thing I know what to say is we are talking about uh, Mr. Carter. Ooh, ooh, ooh. ooh. Uh, we're Up ta- your nose with a rubber hose. <laughs> 
everybody under 30 has just turned off their podcast device. Oh, I think anyone under 45 has turned off their podcasting device. <laughs> uh, <laughs> definitely. Um, uh, I think that's Cotter. C O T T E R. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not, not. This, is, this is more like Carter Country. Yes. Like the president. Yes. So we are talking about Randolph Carter, everyone. Uh, Randolph Carter, of course, being the protagonist of the H.P. Lovecraft Dream Cycle, uh, the most notable book in that series being The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. Kadath, Kadath, Kadath. Yes, uh, among others. And I think we may have even talked about this, but he's, you know, he's named in, well, the statement of Randolph Carter. Correct. Uh, the unnameable, uh, the silver key, mm-hmm. uh, beyond the silver key. Correct. Uh, and I think it comes up at least mentioned in, uh, in Chucky Dexter Ward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's correct. But um, there's also a distinct possibility that a lot of these stories where the antagonist or, or a protagonist or the narrator is not named mm-hmm. could also be him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I also assume that he is also a guest at uh, a party at the, in, in the Great Gatsby. I mean, it's just something I assume. Yeah, that's true. You can sort of <laughs> play uh, six degrees of, of separation between Randolph Carter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, and I think most people listening to this, or most people study, it's pretty well acknowledged that Randolph Carter is is he's Lovecraft's author avatar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of things that sort of Lovecraft wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So you know, Lovecraft, and he could, he was too sick. He wanted to join the Canadian Army, or or or, or join an army and go fight. World War One, but he was just too sickly. Yeah. Well, Carter gets to go to, you know, the French Foreign Legion. Yeah. Um, he wants to study at university, but you know, his, his scholastic is too poor. Well, Carter gets to be that student, and Lovecraft gets to live vicariously through him. Mm-hmm. Now, with one exception, and I think the big exception is the, the dream quest of the unknown Kata, uh, where he basically sort of takes control of this dream reality. Carter doesn't make it much out much better than any other Lovecraftian protagonist. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he gets... And, and realize, you know, there's some spoilers for 85, 90-year-old stories, but, you know, he gets sort of his body swapped out in this deformed sort of alien race and he has to ru- go around with a wax mask and a fake beard and pretend that he's from India. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is, is a pretty Lovecraftian ending for anyone, uh, you know, but sort of, of hard when it's really sort of you. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you can sort of you can, I mean, Randolph Carter, first of all, he's one of the few characters that I can name that appears in more than one story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, they are often, um, his characters, Artemis and stuff, they, they cameo in other stories. Sure. But 
almost none are more than cameos, except for Carter. Carter is also the link between what we now call the Cthulhu mythos mm-hmm. and the dream cycle. Correct. Yeah, yeah. He, no, he, he's sort of cool. he, he's in both. He's got feet in both of you know Lovecraft's creations there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and uh, friend of ghoul, friend of cat. I mean, Randolph Carter, in my opinion, is a pretty cool dude. Friend of ghoul, friend of cat. Yeah. Randolph Carter is where it's at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he's too. he's uh, uh, he's he's uh, Charles Dexter Ward's cousin. He's he he, he hangs out in uh, the Dreamlands. I mean, I, I I guess Charles Dexter Ward could also be a a link between. Uh, no, not Charles Dexter Ward. Who am I thinking? Uh, the, 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 the artist, the, uh, Pikmin, Pikmin. Yes. Uh, uh, so Pikmin, Pikmin is, is, is also a, uh, character who has appeared in two stories, but is more of a cameo in dream quest, but is also kind of a nice link of, uh, the Cthulhu mythos and also kind of a cautionary tale of like, this is what happens when you mess around with the Cthulhu mythos. You don't become some sort of powerful wizard. You become some ghoul digging around in the Vale of Panath, trying not to get eaten by uh, ghasts and dolls. So according to Alan Moore, yeah, who did the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, sure. he's a relative to another famous literature carter do you know which one? Oh, uh john carter from mars yes he is john carter is his um great or his his yeah great uncle yeah I believe. And, and so um you know alan moore likes he he loves lovecraft yeah you know he likes lovecraft mm-hmm. courtyard is one of the best you know, Lovecraft stories ever, I mean, mythos stories ever written. Sure, yeah. But Alan Moore doesn't suffer icons very well. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so there's not the comic book portion, but the text portion in back of one of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the time traveler brings John Carter to and Randolph Carter together. And, and Randolph Carter comes off rather... Sniveling compared to his, you know, more scrapping, uh, heroic hero, and I, I think it sure, is a point yeah. where, where John and, and it's like nobody reads, you know, the Black Freighter stuff the first two or three times they read Watchmen. Mm-hmm, nobody mm-hmm. reads those in between stuff the first yeah. two or three times yeah. that they that they read League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. But you know, it, yeah, he comes off sort of wimpy compared to. Uh, to John Carter, his granduncle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, one is pulp and one is Lovecraftian horror and uh, not a lot of people fainting. <laughs> well, that's true. And, 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 and to some extent, I've got to give this hand to Lovecraft. Yeah. You know, I, I love Robert E. Howard, but, yeah. you know, you see all the things Robert E. Howard wanted to be in Conan. Yeah. You see, um, you know, and everything he wanted to be and you know sailor steve duggan mm-hmm. but you know lovecraft he, even though randolph carter is an author avatar yeah he's not a mary sue he no. has a mary sue moments he has that powerful moments when he takes over the dream lab oh sure says hey this is my story 
But you look, he, he gets deformed and put in this alien body that even he can't fix. Well, I was going to say, what about the time that him and his friend were telling scary stories and then they freaked themselves out, but there was also a thing and then they had to run away and they passed out and fainted and peed themselves. And then the next day we're like, oh my goodness, that was crazy. That was unnameable. Good times. <laughs> Great oldies. Yeah, and and of course there there's the statement of Randolph Carter, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was pretty much word for word, scene for scene, uh, a dream. Yeah. Um, and so do you know what the you know what the the hardest part for me, the one part that I find with the statement of Randolph Carter hard to believe is it rotting uh, granite. Yeah, yeah, that there's this cave system in underneath Florida. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he talks about it's on the Gainesville Highway. And, you know, yeah, but, you know, yeah, there's, he, he's, he's sort of, he's transporting New England cave systems into yeah. Florida. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think he traveled to Florida yet. He does later. Well, you never know. I mean. <laughs> That's true. You, know. you never know. Uh, yeah. and, and, and you know you never know what the the creatures are that get worn in that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but i always and, and i had a little bit of lovecraft under my belt when i read that one yeah i, I assume they were ghouls ghouls or so, lizard men it's not you know not named in any other of his stories something but that's i've always sort of figured well maybe that's how they knew about you know the ghouls were aware of him yeah no uh that or uh uh, serpent people, uh, mad technology. Yeah, Migo, no, the Migo. I, I don't think that Lovecraft <laughs> has any serpent people, but he definitely part of the mythos through Robert yeah. E. Howard. Yeah, no, no. I was, I was, I was thinking of uh, the serpent people, the lizard people from uh, oh, the story with the pillars of Iram. That's true, yeah, I've forgotten about that one. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's I'm, I'm drawing a blank of it right now but, uh, yeah, no, no, or uh, what about uh, a Migo colony underneath uh, Florida swamps? There's no catacombs, but what if some sort of fungus insectoid uh, that also has a colony on Pluto somehow figured out a way to uh, convert uh, stuff into, and that's why it's like rotting granite in a graveyard in a uh, cypress swamp. It's 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 like a poorly constructed Migo uh, subterfuge that's been around for like a hundred years or so, and that's or why it's possibly a- even. Uh- the the cre or the the subterranean humans in the mound. Oh yeah yeah. But I was okay. Oh I got one. I got one. Okay. So buried w- uh, with the pharaohs or under the pyramids. Yeah. So which he goes wrote for Houdini. It's supposed to be told from Houdini's point of view. Yeah. And he sees and there's all these children of the Finks with jackal's head and alligators, but are crocodiles. But instead of Egyptian, they're all like like Louisiana, you know, with raccoon heads and alligators and parrots. <laughs> or uh, if we go back to the whole all Louisiana, maybe it's some sort of extension of the cult of Cthulhu. That's true. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I, I really like ghouls. Ghouls is, ghouls is my number one. Uh, what I think of is possibly in that crypt, that sepatura underneath that... Uh, 
Swamp. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, like I said, when I first read it, Ghoul, it's like, it could be anything. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, no. It's I, I imagine, like, uh, they talk about it being a crypt, uh, and it's made of granite or, or marble or something. And then uh, he goes down into a crypt. And I imagine that maybe it, it may not be natural. I mean, he talks about it being natural caves and stuff like that. But what if he doesn't realize what it is? What if it is some sort of like, um, I don't know, ghoul structure or Migo structure? It's like, those, those are the two big ones for me. I, I, I really do kind of, I know this isn't what we're supposed to be talking about, but... Uh, let's see, on Halloween, uh, I played the statement of Randolph Carter, so it's still really fresh in my head. And I don't know, it's, it's something that I kept thinking about uh, as I delivered the lines, uh, you fool, Warren's dead. dead yeah. And, uh, you know, thought about the lines before it and made it like echoey and gelatinous at the same time. It's like, oh, what effects pedals do I have from Donner that can do that? And it's, it's, it's like something mimicking his voice, or it's like, what if it's a brain cylinder? Or are the ghouls smart enough to figure out to like talk to this thing and be like, talk into it and be like, oh, you fool, Warren's dead. Or are they all like, glub, glub, you know? Uh. <laughs> and, 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 and I get, you know, everybody kind of, you know, from the first couple paragraphs, we kind of vaguely know how it's going to end. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think that maybe this story gets as much respect as it should. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. the thing about the statement of Randolph Carter. Yeah. Is it's not only a horror story; mm -hmm. it, it's almost this police procedural. Yeah, yeah. You know, it really is his legal statement, and, and I'm sure that it had been used before. Mm -hmm. But think of how many TV shows, you know, you, that start in the interrogation room. Oh yeah, no, I could. I, I I was thinking about while I was listening to this the last time that I could see this being some sort of like. Florida cop show procedural where there's an episode, the case of Randolph Carter, and it's like this guy being like, I'm not lying to you, you guys. You gotta believe me. There's something out in that swamp, and it took my friend. And they're like, all right, whatever. A Halloween episode of some, like, procedural that takes place in Florida where, like, the hero rides around on a fan bolt boat and, like, you know, has a dog with a bandana and, like, you and know. And red hair and glasses. I don't know about that. But <laughs> I was thinking CSI Miami. Oh no, I thought you were talking about me, and I'm like, uh, I don't oh, know about well, that. Oh, that too. I, I was thinking like CSI Miami. Um, I, I I've never it seen that show. It looks like he got ghoul. <laughs> you can't see it on on the podcast, but uh, I just put my glasses on. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But no, no. Uh, I, I could see that show, and that would be like their Halloween episode. And then you'd never see, uh, I don't know, whoever would play uh, Randolph Carter ever again. But, you know, because he, he couldn't be the, 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 the famous person who's the killer. Because, you know, it's a supernatural killer. But And, and, and so I'm sure Lovecraft didn't create interrogation as a setting. But but I think he's the oldest one that I really know of. Yeah, yeah. Well, it looks like ghouls just want to have fun, lower sunglasses. I, I can see David Caruso playing Randolph Carter. Yeah, okay. Yeah, maybe get a little scrabby beard or something. Uh-huh. Okay, who, who who are you casting as, as, as Harley Warren? So, you know, that's that could be like 
since he, I don't even think he really talks. He's just got to be sort of an older person. Yeah. So you know, you get, you could get almost anyone. You just got to believe he's fit enough to he's older and fit enough that he's willing to go through those little cave things. Who says Harley Warren has to be a dude? If we're gonna stunt cast, yeah, uh, Gillian Anderson. Okay, there you go. Cool. From the X-Files. Sounds good. Just as long as we're getting someone who has a background in weirdness for a Halloween episode on a police procedural that does not exist. <laughs> Making a CSI uh, Mescatonic Valley or, you know, CSI Arkham. Yeah. Uh, contact us. Yeah, we have a ton of Assuming good ideas. That you have a lot of money and that you have all the contacts. Yeah. We'll come up with the ideas. After you hire Scott Glancy and Ken Height and everyone else who's like, you know, I, we'll get sandwiches and we have good ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so we're going to be talking. Oh, hey, hey, uh, who's our interview with again? So it is uh, Russell Smeaton, who is from England, and oh, cool. he is an award-winning author, but also a visual artist. Oh, awesome. We talked a little bit about, you know, Lovecraft in the UK, uh, but a little bit, you know, how, how the difference between... You're doing visual art and written art. Oh, nice. Very nice. Sounds right up uh, a lot of our listeners' alley there. And after that, we're going to be talking about Randolph Carter as an NPC in your RPG on D&D with D&D. So we'll see you after the break, everyone. And I hope you like the new ads that we have up. So I know everyone got tired of those old ones, especially me editing. Okay, so we'll see you after the break. Be there. Go to the show notes. Check out what the Fretwire has going on right now. Guitar parts. And also DIY guitar kits. Avoid the assembly line. Say F you, Scamazon. Make your own guitar. It's about as hard to make as like a model or a Pinewood Derby car. And you can also like end up for like about 200 250 with paint. End up making like a $1,000 guitar for like... $200. Fretwire. Check out the show notes. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the people's guide. lucky today for our interviews and i'm really excited because we have uh not only a, a, a lovecraftian but an award-winning writer and artist and that is russell smeaton and like a few of our guests recently 
Uh, we're talking to him, and he's in the United Kingdom. Uh, Russ, you want to maybe share a little bit about who you are and what your art is? Yeah, okay. So, so yes, my name's Russell. Um, I used to have a Facebook page, a DeviantArt page, and I used to go by the synonym of Tiki Russi. So I've closed that one down, but some people might know my pictures through that um, abbreviation. And let's see now, what can I say? And I think the the moniker of war winning is a little bit ambitious because I don't seem to remember winning any awards other than the the title award winning. But other than that, well, well, you won uh, the H.P. Lovecraft Microfiction Award. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you know? I keep forgetting about that. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, award winning. I'll I'll take it. I'm happy with that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I've been you know writing for about three or four years now, maybe even five. I've been doing pictures of various types, like Lovecraftian and otherwise, for oh, for as long as I can remember, really. I'd say probably 15 years, maybe now. Um, mm. Yeah, so yeah, I've been doing stuff for quite some time, really. So it's quite nice to to see some things out in print, if you like, you know, because when you're doing stuff on, I should should explain that a lot of my artwork is digital art, so a lot of it is based on using a computer, obviously. Um, and originally, it was all just purely digital. Um, it was only in the past maybe three years ago when I did my first Kickstarter. So I produced some actual physical prints, and that was that was a big step forward, really. But, yeah, previously, it was all digital work. So I think that's, that's it in a nutshell, isn't it? Okay, interview over. Nice to meet you. Oh, okay. Well, I have not so fast because i got a few <laughs> questions for you. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm going to be I'm going to be completely honest. I can't draw stick figures, so uh, you know anyone that can do you know two types of medium is, is you know you're you're way above me. Um, do you though? Do you approach visual art and written art differently creatively, or is it, it how does that work? Oh, it's a very very good question, and I've been giving it quite a lot of thought. Um, I think I definitely approach both in the same way to begin with so i'm a very reflective kind of person so i like to think a lot before i actually start producing things um so yeah usually with if i'm going to do a picture i usually have an idea in my head of what i want to achieve before i open the computer up and start producing stuff same thing with with stories about if i'm going to write a story i generally have the main plot already arranged in my head, if you like. So I like to like to have something to work towards before I actually open up my tools of the trade, if you like. Um, I should say... Put a, put a lot of thought into it first. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what happens at the end of it doesn't often... It's not what I have in mind quite often. So yeah. with, with artwork, is, because I'm a 3D artist, I'm, I'm the same as you, Dave. I, I, I can't draw. So all my work is based on using um, 3D models, which I then pose and shape and you know arrange the lighting and all the rest of it. So I can't really take a huge amount of credit for a lot of that because a lot of it belongs to the original creators of the 3D models that I use. Um, but having said that, I you know I'll take those 3D models and I'll start positioning them. Like I said before, I'll have an idea in my mind of what I want the picture to look like. 
but then based on how the the drawing is coming along for want of a better word it sometimes morphs into something completely different and yeah it's, it's quite interesting to see the process um, and see what actually comes out at the end of it so I do take quite a long time when I'm producing a picture. Um, sometimes I'll sit down and whatever I had in my mind just comes out perfectly, you know, first first attempt. But that's that's not very, very common, if I'm honest. So sure. when I actually put something out on the Internet, that's often the, the work of quite a few days of messing around with stuff and self-doubt and all that kind of stuff creeps in and I delete it, start all over again. So it can be quite a, a long, drawn-out process. And writing's similar. You know, I I will start off with a very, very clear idea in my mind. And if I've got the time, I will try and thrash out that, that plot as quickly as I can. Um, I'm not... I don't have a huge amount of spare time, unfortunately. Work, my, my real work, takes up quite a lot of my spare time these days. So... Sure. I try and, like chip away a little bits and pieces and it becomes a little bit piecemeal at times and and very often the story that I had in my mind it twists and it morphs and it's something completely different but I'm, I'm alright with that you know it's that's how it works I think it's it's a process it's always like um, a working process you know it's a bit cliche but it's the journey rather than the destination I think very much when I'm producing stuff yeah quite a convoluted answer sorry no, no, that's a great answer. Now, um, you know, at least a lot of your paintings and your the stuff that I've written may not be direct mythos, but, you know, they're yeah. definitely, you see some Lovecraft inspiration. How did you first encounter H.P. Lovecraft? Oh, so this is going to be another very convoluted answer. So That's okay. Um, now, I don't want to cast aspersions, but I'm guessing we are both of an era of pre-internet, so... When I was a young man, the internet didn't exist. So let's think now. If I go back to when I was 12, um, Dungeons and Dragons came into the UK and a lot of us got really, really into playing that kind of role playing stuff. And then in the UK, we had a, a magazine called White Dwarf. So White Dwarf came. Oh, yes. Out. Oh, do you remember White Dwarf? Okay. Oh, oh yeah. An English thing. So. So my friends and I would buy White Dwarf and we would like dissect it basically because that's kind of like all we had to go on really. So, you know, we, we could go into the, the, the comic shops and the role playing shops, but we only had like two of those where I live. So White Dwarf was a bit of a lifeline. So anyway, do remember in White Dwarf, for whatever reason, I'm guessing the, now I need to make an apology. My pronunciation of a lot of names is really, really bad. So all my life I pronounce Cthulhu is Cthulhu. So if I slip into that, I do apologize. No, especially, especially those of us who first encountered it in print. Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's my. I'll go with that one as well. So, yeah. So I think in White Dwarf, uh, the Call of Cthulhu was the role-playing game. I think had just come out on hardback, maybe the second edition. Mm, so okay. they, yeah, I can't remember the date unfortunately. I, I actually have that hardback somewhere in my bookshelves, but. I think they they probably did some publicity or they did some talking about who H.P. Lovecraft was. And I was absolutely fascinated by these little excerpts of this unknown writer to me at that time. Um, now in our local bookshop, we had loads of Conan books, the old paperbacks by Ari Howard. 
So I'd bought all of those, and I absolutely loved all those, like, Pulp Fiction, um, fantasy kind of things. And then in the back or in the front, I can't remember, they were always talking about Ari Howard, Clark Ashton Smith, and H.P. Lovecraft. And so, again, I started getting quite obsessed about who this H.P. Lovecraft guy was. And I was well into my Stephen King as well around that time. And okay, yeah. <laughs> so he was also talking about H.P. Lovecraft. It was really frustrating for me because... All these great people that I admired and these magazines all talking about H.P. Lovecraft. And, and there was no books by H.P. Lovecraft in any bookshop that I would go into. So when I was 15, I think it was, I went into our local um, role-playing game shop. And they had these old um, anthologies or omnibuses. I can't remember. Is it Pantheon, maybe, I want to say? Uh, I actually have them. Hold on. Ooh. Sorry, I'm just standing up. <laughs> Chaosium, maybe? Uh, no, uh, Grafton. Oh. Maybe it's an old English um, publishing company, I don't know. But they produced these three omnibuses. So Omnibus 1 was at the Mountain of Madness. Omnibus 2 was Dagon. Um, Omnibus 3 uh, it included the Call of Cthulhu. So, so I saw these three books, and, and it was one of those weird... Scary moments, my, my heart sped up and got goosebumps. So I bought all three, and I remember sitting on the bus home from Middlesbrough, which is the big city near where I live, to my hometown. It's like a 30 minute bus journey. And I started reading, I think it was Dagon because it was the first one, and I was just blown away, basically. And it was yeah. one of those things, all those things I'd hoped it was, and and it was. There was no none of that disappointment, you know, when you build something up in your mind. and so I think from, from the age of 15 onwards, I think that was, I'd say that's probably when my, my journey with Lovecraft started. So mm. not going to tell you how many years ago that was. <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, a person's a person's entitled to the, their secrets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah. I so think, now with the, the internet, I mean, as well as sort of, you know, mass publishing, how, how is Lovecraft seen in the UK now? See, I was thinking about that question as well, and that's, a, again, quite a hard one to answer because a lot of my friends, for example, they'll, they'll know who Lovecraft is and they're very well versed in what cosmic horror is and all that kind of stuff. But then if I think about the people that I work with who I get on very well with and we all get on very, very nicely, but I wouldn't necessarily call them friends, let's call them colleagues, they probably don't know who Lovecraft is. Um, and it's... It's one of those things that sometimes, you know, with the internet, we get like our little echo chambers on Facebook and whatnot. Yeah. And I think some of that is, so in my mind, everybody knows who Lovecraft is. And yet when I talk to the people I work with and I mention, you know, that I write and I write cosmic horror and that kind of stuff, the the look of blank expressions tells me that maybe, maybe I've got a bit of a false perception about, you know, what people think about Lovecraft. Having said that, though, um, I work at a local university. Um, my job entails me working with quite a lot of colleagues across. I've been quite pleasantly surprised when I have discovered there are people, there are pockets of people in the university who do know who Lovecraft is and, you know, they're well interested in all that kind of literature and all the stuff that goes with it. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one, really. Um I'm not really sure what the answer is, if I'm honest. But certainly all my friends, you know, the people who come to me, sure. 
Oh, unfortunately, I've kind of like brown beaten her into who Lovecraft is. <laughs> My daughter, yeah. well, they all know who Lovecraft is. So, yeah, there's no escaping, I'm afraid. Um, yes, I mean, how about you? Is it the same way you are in America? America? Well, Canada? so I, I think that Lovecraft has sort of got a renaissance going on with a few things. Uh, with uh, one of them, the big one is uh, HBO's Lovecraft Country. Oh yes, of course. So, so that added a lot of a lot of people curiosity. Um, I think too, um, absolutely right. That the I think the big thing in the eighties, the the one of the big two things really happened in late seventies, early eighties. One is at least in the U.S. Um, they began to mark uh, mass market Lovecraft stories. Okay. And then the other is the role-playing game. Sure. And, and absolutely, you know, it was sort of, even if you didn't play Call of Cthulhu, you knew what it was. You saw the ads. You know, you saw the Mind Flayers. So that was a big 80s. Um, but I think it's kind of going through, Lovecraft is kind of going through a renaissance. Uh, a lot of it is uh, Color Out of Space. Yeah. Um, but... But uh, a lot of a lot of it's a, really we're working on a, a panel with pop culture where there's not direct mythos relationship, but where you know Cthulhu or the mythos or Lovecraft pop up, and you'd be amazed all the things that's popping up at the now. Right, that's interesting. I think it's not quite the same here in the UK. I mean, I could be wrong, and I'm sure yeah. you'll have guests who will say that. What's that, what's that Russell on about? He's talking about his ear. Um, well, and and you get a lot of our you sort of I, I mean I, for good or bad I, I mean a lot of American stuff goes around the world. Yeah, absolutely, I agree with and, that. And so where we have things like um, you know South Park has you know Cthulhu on three episodes or <laughs> true, true, true. Or uh, you know uh, Stephen Colbert is the, the late night show. He will, you know, he will refer to a political party or something as, you know, the minions of Cthulhu. Oh, wow. Okay, no, we definitely don't have that here in the UK. <laughs> yeah. I think it's still very much like minority, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Yeah. So it, it, it's still a niche, but it, it, it's more and more. At least people know the name. Yeah. Now, I, the- I know a lot of your your writing is, you know, published in uh, England, but I, I know it's published here, uh, mm-hmm. Australia. Do you find it hard to write for other countries that speak English? I've never actually considered it, if I'm honest. Um, when I'm writing the story, I I just I just write it, if I'm honest. I don't think about the intended audience. Uh, I don't think about where um, it may be picked up. I just I just write it and then send it off. And if if people like it, brilliant. If they don't like it, I'll cry in a corner for a couple of days and then write another yeah. story. Um, yeah, I, I have seriously never thought about that. I remember I'm, I was talking to one of my he's a writer friend who lives in, in Yorkshire, a little bit south of where I am, and and he was saying that if he's going to write a story that's for an American audience, he will definitely tailor the language. And I remember reading that or like talking about it and I was thinking, well, that's that's really impressive. Um, but I, it doesn't 
influenced what I write, I'm afraid to say. So, so a lot of my stories, I kind of, I like to focus on English, suburbia, and you know, the mundane parts of life that when you peel back the surface a little bit, there's, there's all kinds of other stuff going on. Um, probably got more to blame for Clive Barker, I think, for that. I mean, I was a big fan of Clive Barker growing up, and, mm. and even though I've been a massive Lovecraftian fan, um, I think Clive Barker's works has been a massive influence for me. Like his books of blood, for example. I don't know if you've read those. Okay. Yeah, they, they were a huge impact on me when I was growing up as well, as well as Lovecraft and Stephen King and uh, some other writers as well. But yeah, it's never really thought about writing things for American audience apart from one. There was one story I was asked to write for, and it was based around um, circus anthology. Um, and then for, for whatever reason, I was asked to write about 1950s Americana kind of thing. Mm, so okay. Like, yeah, it was a big challenge for me because mm. normally I don't do any research. I just I just write what I know. You know, I'm a little bit boring in that respect. So, mm. but yeah, it was a really really good experience. Um, the the editor he loved it and he well I say he loved it he liked it anyway and he printed it and I'd be very very pleased with that story. So. I think that's the only time I can think of when I have deliberately gone out of my way to write something for a specific audience. I don't know if okay. that's ignorance or arrogance on my part or just laziness. I'm probably lazy. Now you, you, know where you, you know where you excel. Yeah, well, exactly. I think, was it Stephen King who said you write what you know to begin with? And um, Probably not Stephen King, but I, I definitely go with that philosophy. Um Every now and again, I try and challenge myself, and I've, I've been recently writing a few stories from a female perspective. So, mm. unfortunately for my wife, she gets grilled with all kinds of questions from me about. Oh yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I probably need to challenge myself a little bit more. I think maybe I've been going down the easy path too much in my life. Now, almost, uh, and it's been a great pleasure talking to you, but almost out of time, but. Mm-hmm. Let's have sort of a hypothetical question. If you could be in charge of any project, any medium, uh, any copyrights, you know, <laughs> no no question, uh, money is not a question, right. what would your okay. dream project be? Okay, dream project. Oh, it's got to be, I hate to say it, it's got to be some kind of short animation adaptation or... Uh, series adaptation. I would absolutely love to see um, the stories that I've been writing in film or on TV. I think that would be the the ultimate goal for me. I mean, I've I've been very very happy with whatever I've done in the past. You know, I've, I've done some stories. I've done some artwork. Currently producing a, uh, a calendar. Um, mm-hmm. Also in the process of doing a few like board games, card games, which is all really really good stuff but yeah if i could see some stuff on um because I, I love watching movies and i love watching sure um trying to think what it was recently there was a series on h um on netflix these like 10 minute 15 minute animations kind of uh love death and robots that's the one yeah i absolutely love those i devoured those so that would that would be my dream to see at least one of my stories made into an animated show or like a live action thing. So yeah, so if you can make that happen, that would be brilliant. Thank you. 
Uh, I will I will pass that on to anybody who will listen. I will endorse that to anyone who will listen. So thank you very much. And now I know it's sort of a uh, sort of off time, but you have anything coming out soon or? Um, I've got a couple of things in the pipeline. I'm, I'm still writing stories. I'm not as prolific as I used to be, but I've, I've cobbled together quite a few short stories. So maybe at some point I'll put those out into another collection. Um, I've got two games that I'm producing, um, one of which is finished, but I'm just getting some play testing done. So hopefully I'll be able to kickstart those in the next year or two. Got oh, excellent! Yeah, one's one's based on. No, I've often I've often called it the the Migo, but I think it's the Migu, maybe you know the the fungi from. Yeah, you know, I, I I pronounce it Migu. Migu, Migu. yeah. It, it, it's actually it's actually a like a Himalayan word for oh. the abominable snowman is what Lovecraft oh. took it from. So yeah. I'm not sure how the Nepalese pronounce it. No, well, I, sh- I should know these things. My wife's Chinese, and China and Nepal they share a border. So maybe I'll ask her. <laughs> but yeah, I've got a, a card game based on the the Migu, so that should be quite fun. Um, I'm also producing another card game. It's a bit of a, um, I keep on going back to Innsmouth, you know, I, I did the, the Residence of Innsmouth book, which I really, really enjoyed, but I've got a card game based around Innsmouth, which I hope to finish. I've been working on that for about three years, so I'm not holding my breath to get it finished any day soon, but... Um, but yeah. when you do, we'll make sure we have some links for you. Yeah, that'd be great if you did, yeah, so, I mean, I've finished the game itself, I just, I'm just doing the artwork myself, and you know, life, you know, we all yeah. have schedules and you've got your goats and your chickens. I haven't heard Ralph. I've been a bit disappointed. I was listening out. Oh, I, I heard him. He just seems he seemed. I heard him a couple of times. He commented oh, a couple of times, but he seemed to be on the other side of the farm. So uh, uh, I don't think it went across the lines. Oh, OK, OK. No, I didn't hear him. But yeah, so you, you know, it's like, David, I mean, we've got busy lives and yeah. I like to do these things in my spare time. But sometimes just you don't have spare time. No, I mean, my daughter now, she's 12. Well, no, she's 11 going on 12. So she's more self-sufficient. And that's brilliant because I get to play a game with her as well and get her. Opinion. Yeah. She's got that brutal honesty of a 11-year-old, which is which is refreshing, if a little bit depressing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, loads of stuff going on, loads of stuff going on. Um, hopefully I'll be able to finish at least one of them. We'll see. We'll see. Well, thank you very much, Russell, and we hope to have you on the show again soon. Excellent. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's nice to actually hear from you as well, because I'm so used to just seeing you on, on Facebook pages. So, yeah, it's yeah. been really nice chatting. No, absolutely. This is a gentle reminder for you to check out the show notes. Find out more about our guest and go to the show notes. Find out about psychedelic water and Tazo chocolates. Fred Wire, Donna Guitar, Glary Guitar, Curvy Girl, Clothing for Plus Sized Women. Check the show notes for used books and comic books, Golden Goat CBD and Delta 8, Copper Cow, Vietnamese Pour Over, which is super great. I highly recommend that you check it out. It's in the show notes, which I am singing about.
check the show notes. Hey everyone, we are back. And Randolph Carter. Randolph Carter. Wow. Uh, we're, we're talking more about Randolph Carter. Why? Because Randolph Carter is a primary protagonist in the Cthulhu Mythos and the Dream Cycle, which is one of these tangent things that we talk about on the show. Randolph Carter makes for good NPC in your RPG. Uh, when you're playing a 1920s, 1930s, uh, maybe even a 1910s campaign if you're dealing with 19-year-old, uh, first-time-around uh, Randolph Carter. I, I, I like to use Randolph Carter as someone who's kind of like a, I don't know, kind, kind of like your Great Gatsby type or like someone who, who like knows information about stuff. You know, maybe Randolph Carter before he's... Uh, done his dream quest. You know, that's, that's the Randolph Carter I like to use in my games. It's like someone who's like, hey, I know about this stuff, but I don't quite know a lot about this stuff. I can set you in the right way. Or like, hey, I've heard some stories about the Miskatonic Valley. I, you know, like at, at, at like a cocktail party. You know, this is like if you're like high society dilettantes and stuff like, and, uh, and acting on their behalf in, uh, you know, like, situations where they would need someone with a higher credit check. It's like, yeah, we're a bunch of people that all know about like books, but we need someone who uh, has, has, has like a decent credit rating so that we can like try and blend in with some fancy people to like, you know, do something, join a, join a social club that, you know, we're not gonna be able to join. We need to join the Silver Twilight. So let's talk to, uh, Let's talk to Carter, see if he knows anyone or has any insights or, like, can at least tell us which fork to, you know, use during dinner. No, excellent. And, and, and sometimes I think sort of use him kind of like, you know, you know, instead of Charlie's angels, it's mm-hmm, Carter's mm-hmm. angels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the one definitely. that can bring them. He's the one that can give the mesh, mission. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe, you know, because his face is deformed, yep. you know, when he, his body changed, maybe that's all they know him through. Definitely. Is the phone, uh-huh. you know. Or, you know, a, and a good, decent adventure is when he first disappears. Nobody knows what's happened to mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Oh, go ahead. And, 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 you know, your players, again, sort of, they have these preconceived notions. But maybe he's just gone, but it leads him onto a road to a completely different type of mystery that had nothing to do with him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And uh, what I'm about to get to is kind of on that same uh, bit there, is uh, with characters like Jackson Elias, and you don't necessarily have like a uh, background with them, uh, characters like Randolph Carter, you can have read stuff, but your character wouldn't have had a background with them. You become friends with them, or you just say, you have a background with them. Part of that is part of the role-playing thing, and it's just part of your character to be like, oh, okay, I have a background with this person. Sometimes I've had people be difficult with me being like, but I don't know this person. It's like, well, you're role-playing, okay? And that's part of your character's history that you didn't write, and I'm telling you right now. (laughs) I hate to be that DM, but sometimes you have to be that DM. And Well, well, how many many characters, you know, in the 20s, even 30s, 
have characters with World War One history. Exactly. I mean, Herbert West, but I don't know if I necessarily want to deal with him in my Call of Cthulhu game. <laughs> True. But, but you know, it, it says right where, you know, um, mm-hmm. Randolph Carter. And, and the part that I like, one of my favorite things about Randolph Carter sure. is that, that sort of throwaway line that as a child, somebody mentions this city in France mm-hmm. and he just freaks out. Yeah, and then you know, ten years later, he's wounded there, and that was an actual real battle that took place. Yeah, that Lovecraft used, and so you know, even if he can't control it, Randolph mm-hmm. Carter's got these latent, at least psychic powers oh, from yeah. a very young age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I was going to say is. Uh, Carter may send people, like, because of these psychic powers, because of these supernatural things, because of, like, Carter's angels, like, Carter may not necessarily send people, like, hey, I want you to go on this mission, and, you know, it's like, oh, hey, I I need you to meet me here, and he has all intentions of meeting someone there, but because of whatever, he ends up in the dreamlands, and these people end up in this situation that they end up being like, well, we're supposed to meet Randolph Carter here. And, you know, everyone else is like, well, he didn't show up. But can you do something about this? And, you know, madness ensues. You know, he had no intention of that there was going to be a a cult of Haster summoning Bayekis in some ancient hotel in the Vermont Hills. But he was going to go check it out and then he ended up in the dreamlands and but hey you're as good friends and you happen to know all kinds of stuff and you just happen to be a good group of friends that you know probably could solve this problem probably get rid of the cultists and probably keep any more flying things from happening that's that's just a good example of how i've used randolph carter in a very specific example or or another thing is um that you know uh, I think that one of the few sort of almost uh, not action adventure but is when in you know the silver key when when Carter has to go through uh, you know into the cave full of snakes and on that that you know ledge he has to sort of sneak through through mm-hmm. I think that would be a great place and who oh, knows, yeah who's know what type of you know it's guarded by poisonous snakes who knows what type of treasure. Um, Carter's there, or you know, maybe, maybe the snake isn't poisonous, yeah. and the people don't kill it, but it's the eyes of Yig, Ooh. and Yig knows that you're gonna that you're on the way. And there's a lot of yeah. uses, and you could even use him, I think, as a time traveler, especially like a mental time traveler, oh, yeah. in a D and D or a Conan story. Okay, so this is the question I was is. Okay, Randolph Carter in a D&D game. What is Randolph Carter's alignment and class? He's, of course, human. Yeah, he's... Well, until his body gets swapped. Yeah, and then I don't, I, I don't know what uh, we I would call say him. in ways... So, he, I would say he's going to be either neutral or neutral good. Okay, yeah. That he either just... He gets it, the universe is these components and that there really is no such thing as good or bad Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or he's got this this you know new england upbringing that certain things maybe even things we don't agree with now 
are good, such as manners and politeness. Um, I, I think that kind of stuff throws him into the lawful neutral. You think he's more law, neutral lawful? Yeah. That's, that's just me, because he doesn't really believe in good and bad, but he also believes in like these preconceived notions of like fanciness and, uh, as uh, you order. said, yeah, order that we don't necessarily even like consider nowadays and, uh, or think of and ideals that Lovecraft were like, oh yeah, this is, this is fine, but we're like, no, that's gross. Uh, and yeah, so I think he, he, we'd probably say he's neutral to neutral lawful. Mm -hmm. He Mm -hmm. would think he's neutral to neutral good. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he's like, oh no, no, I'm chaotic neutral. I drank tea after five. Or, you know, maybe you could just take some. I mean, if it's your character and you want to shock your players, maybe take some of Lovecraft's worst parts and make them lawful evil. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't see himself as evil. Yeah. But because of, say, prejudice and stuff, it's how we would see him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's very true. That's very true. But what, what, what class is Randolph Carter? I would say that he's going to have some spells, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I tend to go, and if he maybe yogs the goth or something, maybe at least some levels of warlock of yogs the goth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and if you know, if it was old three, in the horror stories they had um, archivists. Yeah. Yeah. Which were basically got all this stuff out of book. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're doing the uh, the modern three point mm-hmm. five, I think he would be definitely dedicate switching between dedicated and smart, and then going into the occultist advanced and antiquarian advanced classes. Uh-huh. Nice, nice. I was going to say uh, multi-class of uh, possibly, I don't know, he has some uh, roguish tendencies about him, but I don't know. I think that may be a little bit of uh, romanticism of uh, Clark Ashton, not Clark Ashton Smith, a little bit of romanticism of uh, Randolph Carter. But I, I, I believe that Randolph Carter is is probably like, I was thinking about fifth edition rules and it's like, oh, he's like a sorcerer. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, sorcerers, uh, he'd be a warlock because warlocks make packs with the outer and whatnot. And I, I feel like, yeah, no, Randolph Carter's definitely made some sort of pact with the outside. Maybe he's some sort of like, I don't know, uh, couple levels of wizard, but then like switch to warlock. Because he definitely has kind maybe, of maybe maybe bard, but as a writer. Oh a yeah, 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 yeah. No, because I was like, how how do you get the whole writing thing, antiquarian kind of thing? And I'm like, yeah, no, definitely like maybe a dilettante bard, and then switched over to spooky dooky warlock. Yeah. Now I think now he of course is is statted out. I think, and at least maybe not the most recent, mm-hmm. but at least as far as fourth edition uh, called Cthulhu, you know, yeah. he, he's there, he's statted out in, in the basic book. I, I, I think I have some 5.6 or 6th edition that has some Randolph Carter statted out 
in a couple of books. I, I, I know I have multiple books. So I, I probably have Randolph Carter in multiple editions statted out, but I did not grab those. And I think That's I even have him and, and, in... And, they, and at least in fourth, they, they didn't give him a lot of abilities because they just didn't have a lot of space where they stuck him. Oh, I, I feel like I have like uh, Randolph Carter statted out in a bunch of different Call of Cthulhu books. But. I'm sure he. I'm sure he's in quite a few. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, yeah, no, no. That's I. I think that that that's definitely true. I think both of our ideas of Randolph Carter in a D20 F20 game pretty cool. And yeah, no, I think with all the variations of Randolph Carter for. Uh, Call of Cthulhu, and hopefully he's in some uh, some 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 gump shoe there. But Randolph Carter in uh, Call of Cthulhu, I mean that's a percentile system, that's a base whatever system, and it wouldn't be too hard to like figure that out for other systems, say like uh, a base ten or, or like a uh, base ten system. Like GURPS or, or yeah, or, yeah, I would say GURPS or and public domain. So hey, anyone can <laughs> use them for true. whatever you want. So if you want to make a a campaign about uh, with Randolph Carter in it, you can do that. That's totally up to you. So, and uh, who's to say that Randolph Carter in the future uh, did not figure out uh, the spell that I don't know. Um, Azanith and her father used to swap bodies with someone. Who's to say that he didn't figure out some sort of Yithian mind swap technique? Uh, some some sort of ancient, ancient thing. He's going around looking for stuff as the Swami. He ended up at the Cabot Museum yep. in Out of Eons. And what was he doing there? He was looking for something. Yep. And, and maybe he found it. Maybe he found it. Maybe he was still en route and when he uh, was at the Cabot Museum. But who knows? Uh, maybe he switched uh, bodies. I don't know. I don't know. I was like, maybe there's there's another protagonist that uh, we we didn't think about. That you know, it's like this guy shows up out of nowhere. And uh, <laughs> it's actually Randolph Carter. <laughs> That's a possibility. Randolph Carter's actually Mickey Spillane. No. Uh, <laughs> Randolph Carter as Indiana Jones. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's enough Randolph Carter for this episode. Hey, everyone, thank you so much for joining us in our first episode of November. We've got spooky stories going on all month long. Why not? Because, I don't know, those, those, uh, those, those hours are getting shorter, the nights are getting longer, and while you're commuting, working, whatever, why not listen to a bunch of spooky stories? We've got cool interviews, and you know what? If, if you want to skip the parts where Dave and I talk, I totally understand. No, I don't. Listen to those don't. parts. That's, that's, that's funny. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I listen to this all the time. And I will admit that I listen to a lot of my podcasts on 1.5 speed just so I get through them faster. And I have to say, listening to me and Dave on uh, 1.5 speed is pretty 
funny because Dave talks a little bit more like this and I talk a little bit more like this. <laughs> but anyway, uh, whatever you're doing today, I hope you're having a great day and a good commute and a good travel and a good work day. And check out the show notes. Check out the sponsors. Help support the people who help support us. And if you disagree with us or if you have ideas about anything that we're doing, if anything that we've talked about, you're like, oh, hey, you know what? I want to use that in my D&D campaign. I want to use that in my Call of Cthulhu campaign. Or I use this in my Call of Cthulhu campaign. You're talking about this pretty soon. Check this out. Email us, write us, whatever. There's a contact thing on PGTTCM if you want to get in contact with us, and we'll check it out. And, of course, we're also on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. And Dave's got Dave's Corner of the Universe. We've got a link to that on PGTTCM. You can check out Dave's backlog on that. And don't forget about the shop. And rate, review, subscribe. Tell your ma, tell your pa. We'll ship you down to South Agua. Get the shirt in the shop. And, of course, have a wonderful Dave. Order now so you get it in time for Christmas. Yeah. Uh, Have a wonderful day. I said wonderful Dave. Dave, have a wonderful day. I will. And have a wonderful DB. I will, Dave. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next time.